0: today on CityCast Chicago. Earlier this week, the city activated its emergency operation plan to battle the code. A Harvey apartment complex was boarded up with residents still inside and the White Sox explore a potential new South Loop Stadium. Here to break it all down is the founder of the Harvey World Herald, Amethyst Davis, and Sun-Times education reporter, Nader Issa. It's Friday, January 19th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is What Chicago's Talking About. Morning, Amethyst. How you feeling?
1: I'm good. I'm good. How about you?
0: I'm good, G. Excited to have you back on the show. Nader, welcome back to CityCast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, I appreciate all of the work y'all do. Uh, it means the world every time y'all answer our emails, y'all stop by. So thank y'all so much. Uh, earlier this week, we sat down with our good friend, Carrie Shepard, to kind of give a little bit of a guide to a sick day in Chicago. Largely, we were talking about the rise in COVID-19, flu, and other respiratory illnesses. And we were trying to have a, a comforting conversation about what are the things we do when we are at home taking a sick day? What are the, the foods we reach for? Just, just ways we like to kind of decompress and take those sick days. Uh, so, Amethyst, I'm going to start with you. What What are the things you reach for to comfort you when, you know, you got that that January, February cold?
1: Man, you know, I haven't actually, you know, really been ill in a minute. Not until this week, actually. So, you know, I mean, I didn't do nothing. I didn't reach for nothing.
0: I ain't going to hold <laughs> you. I was in a bed. Hey, if the bed is what you reach for, that's yeah, what you I reach for. I
1: couldn't do nothing. G. couldn't get up out the bed. I had some Damn. water. My stomach was my stomach was turned. I couldn't keep anything down. You know, it started at two a.m. I woke up off my sleep. Like, damn, this how we starting the new year? You know, so I mean, I'm for me, I'm just that, man. What it started off shaky. I was I, I'm in the bed like all literally all day. That's it.
0: I completely understand. Man. We we didn't all been there, and I, I'm sorry to hear that. Hopefully, you get to that part of the recovery stage where you know you you can start doing some of the things that make you feel better.
1: Oh yeah, I got this coffee on on Snap. Yeah, yeah, I got the coffee. Yeah,
0: it's right here. Absolutely, absolutely. Nader, what about you? If you if you get that that winter bug, what are the things you you reach for in addition to them pillows?
2: Well, the bed's a big one. I'm with Amethyst on that. Um, I don't know. I'll try to have some soup, some chicken noodle soup. Um, other than that, I'm usually going to be on the couch under some blankets, and I will I will sleep through the afternoon. I, I was trying to think of if I if I'd throw any shows on, but I feel like any time I do that, I fall asleep halfway through because <laughs> my brain is just too tired to pay attention to anything. So, I'm uh, I'm sleeping most of the day.
0: Every single Friday, we like to bring in the homies to, to look back on the stories that were maybe making big headlines across the city, but really were things that y'all were following. Uh, and then I want to start with you. One of the big stories was uh, earlier this week, the city of Chicago activated its emergency operation plan for extreme cold, which essentially means that they open more warming centers. They They open a few 24 seven. They try to provide more resources because we all know this. When those temperatures drop, Essentially, city problems tend to get worse. Transportation slows for the unhoused community, for asylum seekers. Finding housing is more and more precarious uh, and and more and more necessary. Uh, And and one of the things you want to talk about, Nader, was uh, the effort to just provide more resources for Chicago's unhoused community.
2: Yeah, you know, anytime it, it gets as brutally cold as it did Uh, this past week, it's hard not to just think about people who don't have housing and what they're going through because, you know, you walk outside for 10 minutes and you feel freezing and you feel, I mean, you feel attacked. Like this, Mm -hmm. this cold this week was, was
0: uh, pretty bad. Um, Your face tightens up, all of the liquid in your mouth and in your nose and your eyes just sort of dries out immediately. Yeah. So you just think
2: what it, would be like to not have any shelter to go to and it's um, it's it's really unfortunate and so um, I, there's a couple of stories about what different groups are doing to help unhoused people this week and there were volunteers out there was one group that said it, they sort of canceled their outreach because they said it was too cold for their for their own volunteers to be out at night um, but there's uh, like Harold Washington Library opened a 24-7 warming center um, they moved some of the migrants from the landing zone in the south loop to there. Um, but I mean, you, you go around to a lot of the sort of tent encampments around the city and a lot of them were abandoned. You, like the tents are open, there's no one in there, people are gone and just trying to go seek shelter anywhere indoors that they
0: can. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like we said, the city activated this plan. They also had a 24 seven facility in Garfield Park. But that was supposed to go from about what Saturday, Sunday through Wednesday. The forecast is we're getting more snow that those temperatures may stagnate. Have we heard anything about uh, maybe long term plan or, you know. Uh, short-term plans over the next couple of weeks on if the city will leave some of those warming centers and extra resources available.
2: They might. They've been talking about monitoring the forecast and, and seeing what um, what planning needs to go into the next few days. And that's the thing, like the the, the mayor, for example, last week, or earlier this week, the days are blending together, but um, when they had that big press conference about the, the snow and the cold, the mayor announced that he was going to delay basically evicting migrants from uh, shelters, that 60-day policy had put in. And it was like, we're gonna delay it until January 22nd. Well, it's not like notoriously warm in Chicago on January 22nd, and so they delayed it again. um, And that's some of what you'd expect to be happening. Plans are gonna get extended. You're gonna have to keep making accommodations because at the end of the day, you need people to have shelter. You need people to be warm. And I mean, you need people to have shelter year round, not just now. So um, it, it sort of points to the lack of affordable housing, the lack of housing in general in the city, and that this is a problem the city hasn't solved for a long, long time.
0: Yeah. And again, when these temperatures drop, I think people, not only should we think about you know, the lack of housing available, but the the means that people will go to keep themselves warm. People start burning, you know, uh, the trash that they could find. People will sleep closer to space heaters and gas heaters. And and that leaves people very vulnerable uh, to getting hurt themselves, to getting severely injured, to getting burned. Um, and so it, These moments when, you know, the city opens up more resources during an emergency, it it also makes you wonder, like, is there some way to make these not just emergency resources, but available throughout?
2: Yeah. And it's I mean, no one no one wants to be burning things outside to stay warm. There's Mm -hmm. a gentleman um, in a Sun Times story who he was the only one who stayed in the tent encampment that he was living in. He's been there a year. Everyone else, these couple nights, one shelter elsewhere inside. And he was going in different tents trying to find things that he could burn. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's dangerous for him. It's also, I mean, if, if people come back to their tents and a lot of their stuff is missing, that's unfortunate for them, too. But he needed it to be able to make it through the night, through the cold, Um And it, it, I mean, no one wants to find shelter on a train. No one wants to find shelter uh, anywhere other than a home inside. And so um, it's, yeah, it's it's a tough situation this week. And
0: always. Amethyst, this very much is connected to a story that you've been following over the last couple of weeks and one that really just showed up on the front pages of of Twitter and Instagram for me, which was some Harvey residents at an apartment complex looked out their front door and their windows to realize that their apartment had been boarded up while they were inside. Um, Can can you kind of break down this story? Because obviously, when something sort of goes viral on social media, it's hard to keep track of the details and the facts. and, And that's what you do, my G.
1: Yeah. So January 5th, Friday, January 5th, um, there was a woman, Bella, she actually lived at the building on located on 145th and Halsted in Harvey previously. Um, she and her boyfriend had gone to check on um, an uncle who lived at the property and just so happened to see that there were people there boarding up the, the two buildings um, and that um, her boyfriend's uncle, Rudolph Williams, had been war- erroneously boarded up um while he was still inside of his apartment. And so it you know they pulled their phones, um James Williams, the nephew and Bella and his girlfriend, and they began recording and this thing just goes viral overnight. Um and so really it in the you know, days that followed, right? We sort of got more information on the ground about uh, what had been occurring. So, the building department in Harvey had been in conversation with the property owners as far back as October of 2023, mm-hmm. um, telling them that the building—it's uh, two—it's two buildings, right? They make up this property, and the one further south, um, you know, had a staircase that had blown out. Um, someone was walking on the staircase. Per a conversation I was told, residents, um, someone was walking on the staircase and the stairs collapsed underneath them. You know, and so the building department had been in conversation with the property owners to say that they would allow a, you know, a two-week period for them to do assessments and put drawings together because they needed to, they needed to hire a structural engineer to do repairs. So they granted a two-week period for them to do that, but they also had told them that they needed to communicate to the residents they needed to leave. Um, and find you know different housing accommodations in the time while that building was being dealt with. Um, and then they come back you know weeks later um, and see that the other property is also in shambles as well and determined that you know both buildings were um, they had you know lived out their life expectancy and that residents were still living there, and needed to clear out um, and that they needed to communicate that to residents still.
0: This is like immediate breaking leases. You have, what, 30 days?
1: So, I mean, it doesn't appear as though the the property management had any at any point had been in conversation with the residents to let them know about anything that was happening. Um, they were completely blindsided when I interviewed many of them to find out that the city had been conver- in conversation with the owners. Um, and there had been consistent complaints about absentee. Property uh, management folks. Um, the uh, current, the, well, the former property manager, RFN Consulting, they wiped their hands of the property back in October twenty three, um, and then Chicago Style Management, they're the current um, property management company here. Um, but you know, then you come into December, and so the city further communicates that you know to, to the the owners that the residents will have two weeks to clear out. Um, and then they were you know, ultimately granted um, the permit to board up um, the, the property. Um, so SDK Skyline in Blue Island is actually the company that did the board up, that was down there January 5th, putting the plywood up. Um, and it, it seems like they were out there for a good minute. The videos were taken in the dead of night, which is mm-hmm. which was very disconcerting for people because people were being um, you know, they in the middle of the night had nowhere to go. So you had like whole families that were just walking up Hollis Street trying to find refuge. Um, and it really was just, two, it was actually two, uh, two units where people were boarded up in their homes. So Rudolph Williams, a, a senior, and then it was actually another a family, a wife, a husband, and three kids were boarded up in their homes and had to climb out the back window in order to escape. Th- the fact that they were boarded up while they were still inside is what caught the attention. Right. Locally, nationally. But when I went down there and, you know, and we're still working on some stories around this as well, trying to be really measured and um, how we approach it um, just to be very careful to make sure we got the right information too. Um, the building conditions are just absolutely disgusting. So it's not just the fact that you had a staircase that was blown out. You had one woman who didn't have heat for four years. Another woman, she has cockroaches in her unit. She mops every day. Her windows don't even work. There was feces, animal feces all on the balcony and everything when I went up there. Um, The second day I had gone up there, it was fresh. Someone, it, it was fresh. It was absolutely disgusting, absolutely disgusting. Um, and really, but no one paid
0: attention to these calls. No one, you know, this, this doesn't go viral. The the property managers don't respond to this. The city doesn't respond to this. This is just sort of like, you know, these are your these are your problems to deal with. It, it's it's not until these these sort of these millions of social media eyes on it that that people start to care.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I I think that what this kind of undergirds is because the the people who are there, many of them are on Section Eight. Um, they have chronic illnesses. I think what this undergirds is the blatant mistreatment, the blatant mistreatment of people who in society, we just deem disposable. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, you know, this is all, I think, all too common um in our real estate culture. like, and it's it's just absolutely just dis- on so many different levels. you know, you you, you know, you think, what is it about our institutions? What is it about our structures, our policies that allow, you know, it, 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 it may it's in Harvey. Maybe it's at the county or state level that allow things like this to exist in person.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, speaking of what are officials doing, city council had a meeting recently. Uh, and I mean, this was a, a large part of the discussion. H- how did they respond?
1: Um, Harvey is not in the wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like, Harvey didn't do anything wrong. Like, that that was, you know, um, we don't, Harvey doesn't own the building, which is fact. Harvey doesn't own the building. Harvey didn't do the board up. Like, Harvey didn't, you know, board up people on their homes. A lot of it from, you know, city officials was, you know, something went wrong here, but it wasn't on our end, you know, and we were trying to get this building shut down because of the issue that the property Um, but
0: I think, but even that I'm like, they, they say Harvey did no wrong, but like they didn't even, there was no sort of accountability on the property owner. They were communicating to the property owner. This was needs to happen, but they didn't take any steps to inform residents. They took no steps to protect residents, to, to, to provide compensation or, or help provide housing for residents. They were just like, we trust you to go, uh, tell them to, to, that they have to transition out of this building.
1: No, and this is, I'm glad you said that because this is the exact thing that will be sort of like nailing home in our reporting is that could Harvey have taken additional mm-hmm. steps to intervene to help the residents um, who ultimately, if you look at our, you know, our policies, our laws, there are so many laws on hand to protect um, and help, you know, property owners. Um, we don't have as nearly as many protections for people, for renters you know, mm-hmm. who aren't caught up in these situations, especially like these folks who are on Section 8. Um, uh, but there was also, there was a lot of aldermanic grandstanding at this particular meeting, um, specifically from Tyrone Rogers of the 6th Ward, who erroneously told, I think it was Fox 32, that there were no residents boarded up in their homes. And, you know, he, the you know, days later, um, you know, at the city council meeting he he, he launched into a bedlam right over you know Harvey did, did you know did nothing wrong and this wasn't our fault you know you know we do our, I mean it, it it's 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 the, the the 180 it was a complete 180 from the vibes on the ground
0: so moving forward are there in, is there any uh, I imagine the people who were boarded up are now out of the building is the, is there any sense of a timeline of when they'll be able to return, if or if they will be able to return?
1: Oh, no, no, no. They got to go. Um, I've been in conversation with Housing Authority of Cook County. They've been able to be in contact with most of the people down there and get them moving papers um, so that they can actually proceed to get them out of there. Um, HACC owns a property in Harvey on Turlington Avenue. It's known as the Roby Building. Um, they are going to offer that building for people Um, If they like to stay in Harvey. Uh, So they want to stay local. I'm not necessarily sure how many of them would like to. Um, That is an option available to them. Their rent uh, will be calculated all the same because they do receive rental assistance through Section 8. Um, So HACC is diligently working to actually get those folks moved up out of there. Okay, Uh,
0: people can continue to follow along with the reporting by following Amethyst Davis and also uh, staying tapped in with the Harvey World Herald. Uh, before we get into our good news today, Nader, I want to kick it back to you. I Honestly, I did not see this story coming down the pipeline this week. It was not on my January bingo, uh, but the White Sox seem to be in some, you know, pretty undercover conversations about the future of where they're going to play baseball. Right now, everybody know they play at uh, Old Comiskey, a New Comiskey, Guaranteed Insurance, 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 oval 35th. But now they're saying they, they might be interested in a, a, a new home. What's going on here? Yeah, so it's, I mean, this is, what, 30 years after
2: their current ballpark was built. So it's uh, it hasn't been so long. It's a similar situation as the Bears with uh, the renovation of Soldier Field. Uh, Jerry Ronsdorf, the Sox and Bulls owner, he's now looking to uh, find a new place for the, for the Sox to play. I, I think for some reason he thinks – the ballpark's a bigger problem than putting a competitive team on the field because
0: <laughs> I, I don't Take know. Take the shots, man. Take yeah, it. <laughs>
2: I, I don't know. I don't know that people are going to be coming to a new stadium if they're winning 50, games, uh, 50, sixty games a year. So he's looking to apparently have conversations uh, at the seventy-eight, that large piece of land in the south, uh, south loop that for years and years has sort of eluded development um it's named the 78 because it was supposedly had the potential to become chicago's 78th neighborhood uh community area um and yeah it 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 seems like a place that would make sense for the Sox if they were going to build a new ballpark it's a lot closer than nashville for example right
0: Which was the conversation sort of being floated, uh, you know, a a couple months back of like, oh, Ronsdorf is talking with Nashville and people just automatically said that that might be uh, a White Sox moving out of the city move or an attempt to put some pressure. And I don't know. Obviously, I don't know what the conversation is or if they're linked, but. I mean, we went from hearing about Nashville to hearing about the 78, maybe it's working.
2: Yeah, you think, I mean, a lot of times these these uh, owners will put pressure, try to get leverage on a city, on on uh, officials by threatening to move. We've seen it repeatedly with the Bears, with the Cubs, when they were trying to get uh, the area around, around Wrigley renovated. Um, and it seems like that might be a move that Jerry Reinsdorf is making now. It would make sense for a new stadium. There would be a lot of opportunity for like entertainment, pre and post
0: game, that sort of thing. Kind of creating their own entertainment complex, similar to what the Cubs got. Because again, while people have asked for 35th to be developed, it sits right next to the highway and, and the train, so it has good sort of access. But next to that, there's a lot of parking lots. There's obviously Bridgeport in the, in the larger neighborhood. Well,
2: I mean, that's what people sort of wanted the, like, develop the parking lots. You've already got transportation around there. You have access. Why do we need so much space for parking? There is obviously people can tailgate out there, which they do before Sox games. But you would think if that's an issue, if the sort of pre and post game entertainment's an issue, it's not like there's going to be a ton of parking at the 78. So you uh, you think Jerry would be thinking of developing around there. It'd be sad too to not have the Sox on the South Side anymore. Facts. Um, if they're if they're up there, it's. I mean, they've been there for a hundred years. It, it, it'd be a big loss. But sports owners, always are looking for more opportunities to make more money. So, you'd think that's what this is about.
0: Hey, again, I appreciate both y'all being here. I'm with Nader Issa from the Sun-Times and Amethyst Davis from the Harvey World Herald. Every episode ends the same way with us, leaving people with a little bit of positivity, whether it's something going on in your own life, something you were reading, something going on in your city. Uh, Amethyst, I'm going to start with you. What was your good news for CityCast listeners this week?
1: Yeah. So I think what's really great um, to see in light of tragedy is resilience of people coming together. And I'm, you know, beyond proud of people in Harvey or even people on the South Side who came, South Side of Chicago, who came out to Harvey to help, um, you know, asking people, you know, in those those tenants, what do you need? And for many of them, even before the, the board up fiasco, they were in need of food. They were in need of toiletries and amenities and people. Um, came and brought those things. You know, um, you had Harvey businesses on Halstead that served as refuge for residents, Um, many of them liquor stores and gas stations, which actually, for people who are familiar with Harvey, have a really bad reputation in Harvey for, you know, People think they attract crime, um, and there are some corners of the community where people want them to restrict their business licenses. Um, you know, but here those are the communities that the the, the you know the, the types of businesses that stepped up and let people just come in with loads of stuff. Um, you know, let them eat chips. You know, drink food, and just stay inside in the warmth as they figured out what was trying to happen. So. Um, you know, I was able to tap in with some of those folks and some of those business owners, and um, it's it's really nice to see that type of um, community and camaraderie in face of like tragedy and shenanigans.
0: Hey,
1: big facts.
0: Um, I mean, it's for it to. I appreciate that people didn't just sort of post about it repost comment on social media but people did find a way to actually get active to to follow up with people and obviously you uh and and your team have been doing that um for the last uh few weeks and providing more details but but it is great to hear that you know community members both in harvey and uh from the city uh you know tried to find some way to, to to help those folks out uh Nate I'm gonna kick it over to you what is your good news for people this week well I don't think
2: it's as good as analyst news um, but and it's I don't I, I don't know if I would necessarily call it good news it's more fun news and it's stuff we've seen before but it's always cool to see train tracks on fire I think that's just like the kid in us always enjoys seeing that under control on control fire it, on controlled fire right <laughs> And so that was cool to see this week. Uh, again, it, I, I don't think it happened last year because we, we didn't really get as much uh, of a cold snap as we did this year, but it was cool to see those tracks on fire and trains running through them.
0: Why, do you know why exactly they, they light it on fire? I get, I mean, it's cold fire that they go hand to hand, but is there some like particular reason why they do it?
2: Yeah, so the there's there's sort of these uh Fuel gas-powered heaters at different points along the tracks, and they, they sort of help the tracks keep going. And the tracks themselves aren't actually being lit on fire. The, the workers are lighting fires to help those heaters light up along the tracks. And so that, that helps things from, like, switch components from freezing and just things on the tracks that need to keep working. Um, it helps keep them from freezing and stay sort of active and uh, warm enough to be able to switch and
1: operate.
0: Mm. I'm going to drop a link in the show notes so people can can read up on that uh, and, and learn a little bit more. Uh, before we get up out of here, my some good news. If you know me, you know I love a good Storytelling event uh, Next Friday, Latin Exodus for Palestine Storytelling Event and Fundraiser With proceeds going to the Chicago Palestine Film Festival It's going to be taking place, uh, doors open at 6pm At 2138 West Surmac. Uh, put on by Ricardo Gamboa And Hanin Sharam uh, Also Alderwoman Rosana Rodriguez will be out there uh, And other performers They will have drinks, they will have music uh, It's going to be a great event with great merch uh, Tickets have uh, sold out they put up a few more uh at the time that we're recording uh i believe they are selling extremely fast uh but you know you can tap in i'll drop a link in the show notes you might be able to get yourself some merch uh again i want to give a huge thank you to our guest this week the founder of the harvey world herald amethyst davis and sun times education reporter nader Issa. thank y'all so much for making time
1: no problem
0: appreciate it Before we let y'all get up out of here, I gotta give a huge thank you to the people who make City CityCast Chicago possible. Our amazing team is led by executive producer, Simone Alisea. Our producer is Michelle Navarro. Our newsletter editor is Madden. The music we all love listening to is from Sam Thousand, All the Kimonos, and Mark Greenberg from the Mayfair Workshop. If you are new to CityCast Chicago in 2024, make sure you tap in with our website, chicago.citycast.fm. Subscribe to our amazing newsletter, Hey Chicago! And uh, I want you to know our phone number is in our show notes and our lines are always open to you. If you have a question about Chicago you want answered, if you got an episode idea, if you got a a favorite park, a favorite restaurant, we want to hear from you. Call us at 773-780-0246. Leave us a voicemail or you can leave us a text message with your name, your neighborhood and your idea. We are going to be here bright and early on Monday. Hopefully you'll join us. Peace.